Christian education, and uh, maybe that maybe that's a good place to start. Um, talk a little bit about about uh, the book you've been reading and and your response to it uh, yeah, in regards to Bonhoeffer and Finkenwald. Yeah, he's writing on. Uh, you know, he is a seminary professor, and he's uh, trying to capture what what it is that Bonhoeffer had in the in the process of writing the book. You know, he's uh, he's not a completely disillusioned seminary professor because he's going to you know recommend things that are going to be able to save the school. But you know, the the of course what he's faced and what every institution seems to face is just the pragmatics of, uh, maybe maybe even in a larger framework, the pragmatics of a liberal education, that it's hard to, to uh, uh, support that. And so he, you know, the, the idea, well, how do we survive? How do we, you know, uh, sell this thing to whoever wants it? And so he, he clearly what is happening in the, in the seminary setting is the commodification of even uh, a Bible college education, even that uh, theological understanding. And so Finkenwald is a kind of counter example to that. And I, and I think the significance of what he's seen and what, what is obvious there in, in Life Together, he uses Life Together and uh, the Cost of Discipleship as his primary text. And so he's just really going through and and show and, and you know showing that Bonhoeffer is putting this into play. You know the uh, the cost of discipleship uh, in, in a kind of inaugural lecture is a, a shocking introduction to the life of Christ. You know the typical you know I think of places that I've taught where the typical approach or the, or even places that I've learned is a kind of harmony of the Gospels, and you, you pose the life of Christ as a problem. And of course, what Bonhoeffer is doing, and what is being said throughout in terms of seminary education, is know that this is the model for uh, Christians to follow, that the Sermon on the Mount, which is the primary text. And then the other is the uh, the story of life together, in which they literally, you know, by the, it wasn't that every group that he met with, but they finally, I think every group that he met with, the, the, the education is flowing out of the community, out of the community life that they share. And so he's setting the idea, it is clearly one of a radical discipleship in, in which uh, you're not learning the the Bible or Scripture in the text, in the context of an academic exercise, and you get this in Bonhoeffer. Right? This is the surprising thing that, you know, for a guy who was educated uh, in at the University of Berlin and thoroughly steeped in theological liberalism, it seemed to not impact his treatment of Scripture at all, and it was certainly not the way he regarded it. And so, what's being conveyed, I think is this profound regard, you know, of the authority of the word and just the efficacy of scripture in and of itself. Uh, you know, the, it's not the typical historical critical or higher critical. No, it's let's read a passage or, you know, he's advocating 
uh, periods in which morning and night they would read uh, a chapter or a long section from both the Old and the New Testament, and then have periods of meditation in which they would think about Scripture, have periods of prayer. And actually what he's thinking of in terms of prayer is meditation on Scripture. You know, you and I had this conversation about prayer, that sometimes it's hard to, to know what to pray about. And Bonhoeffer then is through the Psalms, but also through, even in, in the New Testament, is, is uh, giving his students training in how you talk to God uh, by just having them do that in and through the Word of God that we have. And so the picture is, uh, I think, one that could be duplicated. Now, the writer of the book um, is committed, I think, to the traditional structures, and that would be the one place uh, that I would question what he's doing. I'm not sure you can recreate Finkenwald, or the, you know, he actually had like three seminaries that he's, he's uh, worked with through there. I, you know, that, that it is an emergency setting uh, that in which they're having to train people because the church is coming undone. Literally, they're, literally the Nazis are knocking at the door, you know. And this is the, it, it, it points to the significance, I think, of how Bonhoeffer regarded uh, biblical education, that he spent literally his last days in which he you know, had freedom of movement uh, in, in training uh, a future generation of, of pastors. You know, the German church had clearly capitulated in the Aryan clause to the, the Nazi program. And so, you know, the, the thing that I was doing in the blog is, is to say that, well, there, there is a sense in which we're kind of, maybe uh, National Socialism and commodification don't compare in terms of evil. But the thing about National Socialism, at least a large segment of the church looked at that and said, this is evil. And that gives rise then to the confessing church. I'm not sure that as a significant percentage of the population has looked at what's happening in theological education or in the megachurch movement and said, oh, look, it's being commodified. We're being co-opted by the spirit of the age. Uh, I think it's a more insidious uh, uh, takeover, uh, co-opting of the idea. And so my, my thought with it was, I really like what he's doing with the Bonhoeffer stuff, but I'm afraid that you cannot recreate, uh, you know, that sort of education in community in the institution as you have it, because the institution as you have it is, in fact, already structured uh, so that the institution per se will survive. I mean, this is just, you know, theoretically, I, you know, you might think you could do it, and maybe you can. I think I was successful a little bit in creating community in a traditional uh, Bible college, but or you know, in, in a seminary. Um, but I think that the thing is geared so much to, just by its very nature, to survival. 
that it's going to, to in, give in then to uh, uh, pragmatics and, and relinquish what is most important to, I mean, you could, you could just give example after example of how these schools, in the process of caving in, uh, you know, they turn to sports or they turn to business degrees or they turn to some sort of you know, alternative to try to survive. And the very point that uh, for which they were founded is relinquished. So I think that what I'm hoping we can do with the uh, you know Plasher's Bible Institute is that it's flowing out of a community of people, uh, and we're doing this in as a kind of extension of that community. There's nothing there to 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 you know we're not trying to keep something sustained. We're not trying to pay off a brick and mortar building. We're just saying here are these uh, here is a seminary level education, uh, and no no strings attached. You know, if you want discipleship in a community of persons, uh, maybe uh, in the spirit of of Finkenwald, uh, that that would uh, be what we're aiming at. But I'm doing all the talking. Is that uh, is that your vision? Yeah, I think so. I, I, there's a lot uh, to unpack in what you just said. Um, you, you were, I think, you suggested that that Bonhoeffer's um, the evil in Bonhoeffer's day uh, in uh, uh, World War II Germany, uh, Nazi Germany, was um, far more. Um, Obvious, and uh, a lot of people, even though the German Christians, uh, and by German Christians, of course, we're referring to a very specific um, religious movement that called all, themselves the German Christians. All those who, who obeyed Hitler and, and yes. adopted the Aryan clause, yeah. Right, that was a very specific um, um, renaming of Christianity in Germany, Um but and Bonhoeffer had, says that he says he calls right. it Germanism. You know, he says that the issue is between Germanism and Christianity. Right, and yet you you also draw in in that statement you were drawing um, a, a parallel that it's more insidious in that what we see in in our time in our context is a the commodification of Christianity, um, such I always called it when I would teach the Walmartization of Christianity, a um, little, little more vulgar, I think, but yeah, it's still the same. It's uh, it's selling it as a product to consumers, and um, and yeah, I that, I don't know if they did that at, at the school you were at. But literally, that was what we, you know, it came about, that the student is called the customer, and we then are, you know, as professors or the, the staff of the school, we're there to meet and please the customer. Uh, and, of course, uh, that just sets the typical liberal arts education and certainly the typical biblical education on its head. The presumption is that people coming to a school know what it is that they want. 
my notion is they have no idea what they want. They don't even know how to ask good questions yet. yet. And uh, the, uh, part of what it means to be educated is that you learn stuff that you didn't even, it, it was not on the horizon for you to, to recognize it. And so once you do that, there is an automatic uh, le lowering of the level of the education. That you know, the goal is to get as many people through the classes in as quick a manner. You know, that if you're difficult in terms of being a teacher or you know the subject matter, uh, you're throwing a wrench in the, in the works. And so the idea, especially at institutions, the uh, the a particular institution, but was well, let's streamline this and and. I imagine that your experience was similar. You've had, you've probably had more experience at n a number of institutions than I have. I, I know that on some level, um, as far as education is in, is is involved, that the landscape has changed. Um, for for example, um, recently I was involved in putting together a presentation for. Um, the institution I currently work, which is a private secular inst institution. And um, we were uh, – the presentation that we put together uh, was on challenges in higher education. And one of the challenges is uh, – regards um, the readiness of students to do higher level education. And and unfortunately, we're at a place right now where even the students that are coming out of high school in a traditional format are are less ready than they have been before. But we're also dealing with the fact that a higher number of uh, – a higher prevalence of first-time, first-generation students are, um, are going into um, college, even though the number of – the number of high school graduates going to college is going down. So part of what we're dealing with in higher education is you've got more students going to school. Fewer of them are ready uh, academically. At the same time, there are more institutions. There's a greater number of institutions competing for a, sh a shrinking number of students who are increasingly less ready and so you've got to develop these systems for them to to make them able to graduate um, and and yet those systems end up costing more money which drives up the cost of education which makes it harder for people to go to school um, and, and so um, you, you see there's this sort of um, there's a kind of crisis happening in higher education. Um, and the Christian schools, I think, are uh, dealing with that in, in ways that probably are m more profound than a, than a state-sponsored school that, that receives a lot of um, money from – a lot of grants from the state. Endowments. Or Endowments. That said – what I think is inherent, what what strikes me about uh, what you're saying is that the response from Christian institutions has – I think part of what Christian institutions have lost is the sense that they're doing an alternative to 
um, that they, that they they don't see themselves as an alternative to the 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 power structures and systems that the world is is founded on. Um, and it, it's very much what you said about surviving. I think is very much at the heart of that. Um, if you've built a structure, a brick and mortar structure that is that is designed to crank out to 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 get students to draw that income to produce students that can now go out into the world and um, make a living in order to pay back loans. Um, and let's let's be completely honest with you: the the way the the education system is built today is to is to produce people that will get jobs that will pay back loans um, in order to I mean the the amount of student loan debt it, out there is phenomenal and, that's and so true. That so be, the, uh, those that's... structures are inherent you can't um, it, it, you can't operate outside of the context of that. And so there's a there's an inherent power issue that's happening there that um, that is inherently contrary to the gospel of Christ, which is about emptying of oneself of power. And you know, at plowshares, and I and I and that's the thing I think that about plowshares that I have the most um, um, sympathy with, or the most. That, that I when I look at this is what I, I like the most about it is it's this is a group of people that have said we recognize that the gospel is about emptying ourselves in order to do peace so maybe if we talk about Plowshares Bible Institute we ought to talk about what it isn't as much as what it is that it's not about it's not about power and it's not about profit even and let's face it, even nonprofit institutions end up being about the bottom line. We're um, not we're not throwing ourselves in the mix of mix of competition, and that's what I think. What you're describing, what the uh, the the reality is that the the Bible College is throwing itself into the competition for students uh, with. Uh, secular institutions or institutions that are going to necessarily be training for vocation. And so what I think the vision that we have is that we really just don't need to compete in that way. Uh, the, that's not really the game that, you know, we don't need to play that game in which the, you know, the, the dishonesty that uh, institutions go through, the, the place that you know, we were formerly promising free tuition, and I know personally students of my my own students that graduated from there with forty thousand, you know, to to eighty thousand dollars of debt, which is just ridiculous. That you know, if you're going into located ministry, and of course some of them aren't even aren't even doing that; they're not necessarily even finding located ministry. With uh, then it, the the idea that uh, you would be in that much debt for an education that really should be there for us in the community of the church. In other words, this is something that we should not be in competition 
with secular institutions, you know, with. Because, no, this is a, a, a natural extension of what it is that we are be, to be about. You shouldn't have to pay to be a disciple of Christ. You shouldn't have to ante up to work your way up in, in, the, in terms of discipleship. Uh, that should be what we are doing and we're offering it uh, in, in such a way that it's accessible for everyone. Unfortunately, the church has failed in the area of discipleship. Uh, and I, I think that to do, dis, you know, to that, that's sort of the odd thing about the kind of the dishonesty about some of these places. And this, uh, who is it? Paul. I've lost the the, uh, the the writer of the book on Bonhoeffer, but he describes, you know, just the, the laughable nature of talking about discipleship or servant leader or uh, in in these institutions. Uh, and all they mean by that is, uh, well, maybe you'll get a phone call from the professor or somebody will shake your hand at the end of the process. Uh, but it's not a, you know, personalized uh, walking together. And, of course, that's what, that's what you get in the example of Bonhoeffer. And I hope that, that we can, you know, that in as much as I've already been doing this as we've already been doing this, I think it is that we're doing life together. And the, the uh, biblical education is an extension of that. You mentioned uh, in an earlier conversation we had this week about this author, and um, I think hopefully in the um, in the description of this we've been able to remember the the name of the author of this book. It's in the article that you wrote. Let me go look um, at it. <laughs> but um, you mentioned that he spent some time talking about uh, delivery methods. Um, and and really pinpoints online delivery as a sign of the um, as a sign of the failure uh, of Christian education. And I remember we had a bit of a discussion about that this week. I I I, I think it's important to note that it's it that what we're talking about here is not maybe the the particular. Um, where this our author has missed Paul the House boat. is his name. Paul House. Okay. Um, where he's missed the boat is trying to locate this in terms of of method of delivery. Uh-huh. When really what we're dealing with is a more um, profound. Um, See, see, I'm I'm wanting to say something more. Um, I want I want to say something more serious, but the words aren't there. Let me let me put it this way: There's a church here in in uh, in near Peachtree City uh, here near Atlanta that um, that was going to help out a church in East Point, and um, instead of helping out the church in East Point that was um, that was struggling with their bills. They acquired the church in East Point, and now the church in East Point is called Peachtree City Christian Church North. <laughs> they acquired and, them. And they acquired them, and and that probably has uh, a lot to do with it, it. It's a nod towards the Andy Stanley 
um, movement, the, the sort of multi-campus, um, again, the commodification, Walmartization of, of the church, where churches are, uh, see themselves as institutions, uh, selling a product to consumers. And the goal isn't that we are making disciples. The goal is that we are attracting consumers to a certain brand. Mm-hmm. And um, if that's your model of Christianity, and, and let's be let's be frank, um, a, a lot of the ministers at the in these giant megachurch situations um, that are uh, a lot of those ministers are folks with with degrees in communication or business because they're good at selling a product to consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be completely honest with you, some of the ones I've met who have degrees in some form of ministry are still very much sort of sales-oriented. Um, if that's the model of Christianity that we're going for, it's not really shocking to find that in order to stay afloat, um, churches or, or Christian schools – are finding themselves trying to cater to that. The institution that I was, the Christian institution that I was at uh, before um, my wife and I went out to Idaho, that was who they were trying to align themselves with, and it was stated as such. You know, we are aligning ourselves with the megachurch in order to, uh, the idea is that that's where the money is, that's where the people with the money are. Of course, the megachurch it has got its resources tied. I mean, they are, there's no money in the megachurches. They're trying to stay afloat. They're competing with each other for an ever-shrinking number of, right. of consumers. Right. Um, right. These, and it's very much like, it reminds me very much of the housing crisis of, um, of the or of the aughts, uh, when the housing crisis hit, um, what was happening was you're competing more and more and more for an ever shrinking number of of customers who have less and less to offer and couldn't pay off those loans, but the banks were trying to get them. And um, what happened? Well, it wasn't sustainable. And and to me, that's part of the problem with, of capitalism in our culture, this this growth economy that suggests you just keep growing and growing and growing and growing, make it bigger and bigger and better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, if your goal as a church or as a school is to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, get more and more and more and more in order to increase profitability, increase uh, – you have to continue to build buildings in order to in- – to get more people in, in order to get more buildings in order to get more people that is that's not sustainable that's not a um, and nor it's not sustainable probably be, because it's not really the goal of the gospel and yet here's our author looking at Bonhoeffer he may miss the point that Bonhoeffer's talking about relationship in a violent time, we we are in a violent time. Uh, in that, 
growth capitalism is founded on I have more than somebody else. That's violence. Um, somebody else must have less in order for us to have more. Um, I may not. I may not be able to follow that with anything uh, substantial, but that's kind of where my head goes. I, I, I guess that I'm. My mind is simpler uh, than yours, and I just think of the uh, the mega church. I, I'm familiar with pyramid schemes. In a pyramid scheme, you've got to continually get more and more people at the bottom to keep the people at the top uh, to, to allow them to succeed. And, of course, it, it is finances, and it is in the church. It's fine. I don't think that people that are unfamiliar with the salary of a lot of these guys realize uh, how much of the institution, just the physical institution, the brick and mortar of the church, and then the staff, and you know, you've got these thousands of people, and then you've got hundreds of staff. I mean, even Francis Chan, who uh, has stepped away from that, you've got it's sort of commendable on his part that he recognized the a waste that when in his church was only like 5,000 people. You know, we got mega churches now of 20,000 or more. So that you and what's happening, you have to keep people coming through the front door because there's so many people that's go, that are going out the back door that are broken. You know, this is the I, I think this is kind of the dirty secret of a lot of these churches that there's now recovery groups that have formed around the mega churches of people who thought this was offering them healing or an authentic Christianity. And, and, you know, you do that for long enough and you realize there's a certain emptiness there that you can never, uh, you know, maybe, maybe people do in some way find a degree of fellowship, but what you miss out on, and this is, I think, what Eugene Peterson is, is talking about, that you cannot have a koinonia in a group that is anonymous, that they don't know one another. Koinonia is an intimate knowing, you know, this is the, if you go back to Bonhoeffer's, you know, the last seminary that he taught, he was in a barn. Uh, they had no indoor toilet facilities. They had no, uh, you know, it was just a, a, a frame, a building. Uh, and he had eight students. Uh, that was what he was putting his energy into in the final years of his life. Uh, and the, the uh, underground, you know, those seminaries were never very large. They may have had as many as 20 at one point. Uh, but it was always just a few people who would come to know one another intimately. Uh, he set it up even so that, you know, they would confess one, not, not in a group, but confess one to another, that they would, uh, it was, uh, he was, you know, in a in a intentional way was discipling each of the students personally. I mean, he was the he wasn't always the only teacher, but he was probably the usually the main teacher. And so he he the 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 point of it is you can't do koinonia, you can't do fellowship. I don't think you can do discipleship in that kind of anonymous 
power structure that you often get in the typical seminary Bible college, which is itself then, in at least in the Christian churches, I think that the megachurch has become the model uh, that is admired. You know, you want to produce these sorts of people. You're not wanting to produce people that are solid Bible teachers. In fact, that would probably get in the way uh, of a lot. You know, what you're looking for is is not in a depth of scholarly engagement with Scripture. That would be too boring for the commodified gospel and its packaging. Well, let me let me throw something in there. At the church that uh, Vanji. Um, went to work for in Idaho and at the time we were so desperate for a job we um, even though this was a red flag in the initial conversation with the preacher there but I asked him so if, if I have a belief that is different from the norm about some issue is that something that's going to bother you he said well I don't know what you're talking about I said, I, I mentioned my, my take on the book of Revelation um, as being about uh, the early church in, in Rome and seeing itself as an alternative to um, the, the, uh, the Roman um, powers and seeing itself in... in um, it's nonviolent. <laughs> it's, it's a nonviolent... Um, and it's under persecution from the Roman powers, mm. and that that's the message of Revelation, that it's a, uh, here is the church as the antithesis of of the world's powers, and always an enemy of the powers. And I said, so if I see Revelation this way, uh, what say you? He said, oh, that's what I think Revelation is. He said, of course, I can't preach that because people will leave. <laughs> I now I promise that's what he said. And he, you thought he was probably joking and what you came to find out that was no joke. That was no joke. That was exactly what he said. Now the one thing we would never do is ever say anything that would make somebody want to leave, which means that you can never truly say the gospel because as a very wise man used to say to me the gospel is inherently repulsive. It, if, if it's not making people, if it's not making somebody in the group you're talking to want to say, I don't want anything to do with that, you're probably not saying it right. And the and person I, that used to tell me that all the time was you. And <laughs> the, I was trying to think, who is that? Very yeah, that wise was, saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, someone of, of uh, deep wisdom must have said that. <laughs> <laughs> that was you. I mean, so what uh, you're what you're de dealing with it's. I, I've said it this way to some of my students in the past was when you see uh, ten thousand people coming to a place, that initially that's a red flag for me. Um, if you understand the gospel as being a call to abandon. Um, the culture, or a call to um, abandon all the values you once held as true, that you have to be powerful to get ahead, you have to be wealthy to get ahead, you have to do violence to get ahead, you have to put yourself first 
you have to that the gospel calls you to empty yourself to be less than to uh, be smaller to uh, lower yourself to be the servant. Um, that's just not a, a something that's going to draw a lot of people. Um, but most of us, I think, think that the church is going to be something we do to keep our kids off of drugs, um, to keep them um, to, to to keep them clean so they'll go to school and get a good job, and maybe go to heaven when they die. Um, that's uh, in my mind. That's just not the the whole point of the gospel. A very wise man said to me uh, that, in fact, the issue is not numbers. Uh, the issue, then, is the goals that you set. So, and, and that's sort of what, that was you, by the way. Uh, uh, These conversations are so mutually beneficial. <laughs> we just beat this. Um, and I, that's what you discover, that, you know, it... it it may be a mega church phenomenon, you kind of see it there, but in as much as every little church wants to, in other words, they've set a numerical kind of standard for themselves, there is then a kind of, there is a subtle displacement of, uh, they want, they, everybody's willing to talk about growth, but all they mean by that uh, is, and even, you know, they, they mean a numerical growth. Uh, if they're not going to hire somebody or bring somebody in that is going to do uh, a scholarly depth of engagement kind of growth, because that, in fact, would probably interfere with their focus. And nobody's going to say it that way. Nobody's going to state it, but, but that's the implicit you know, uh, uh, thing. So that it's almost there in the classical structure as we have it. And by classical, I don't mean New Testament, because I think the New Testament structure for the church was the number of people in this group was probably the number of people that could fit in a living room. Uh, I think there's a very good case to be made that all of these little communities of people were house churches. Uh, even, you know, there is the, the idea that they were meeting in the synagogue, but what many people don't recognize well, actually, the synagogues themselves were not necessarily attached to a building. They were attached to a synagogue was just two or three Jewish men. Uh, you had a quorum, but that quorum could meet in a house. So they were already uh, you know, meeting in houses. So I think that you're talking about intimate groups of people that know one another. And, and all the problems, that, you know, you, it's not that you do away with problems in that setting. It's just that you have the problems of a family, not the problems of a corporation. Uh, and the goal then is not to chew up people, or, or you know, the, the the goal is well, just because you one of the family members stumble, you don't just you know uh, send them out the back door. So I think the the uh, the mega church is a kind of sign of a pervasive thing that has happened in evangelicalism and that lapses over just inevitably into seminary education. Uh, that it is then, when we talk about, you know, practical ministries or we talk about, there's even classes, you know, in church growth. What those classes are about are not, you know, oh, how can we grow the church spiritually? They're how do you grow the church uh, numerically? 
that wise man said to me. <laughs> and and I've been in those, and unfortunately had to uh, put uh, students in those. Um, it's part of. Uh, it's just an expectation. You know, as, by contrast, I think, um, you know, what we're trying to do with, with Plowshares Bible Institute as an extension of forging plowshares is to offer um, a, a, a Christian education. And, and let's, let's be completely honest here. We're, we're offering a, a perspective on the gospel that that says this is primarily about how to be a very different kind of people um, in, a, in a world that is going to be by nature um, opposed to that people. Um, so we're offering a very alternative uh, kind of way of doing uh, Christianity and, and and offering people to to take some courses. Now, these are online classes, but they are um, they're designed. It's kind of the way I would describe it is kind of a flipped classroom. So there's video, there's reading, there's those pieces, but then there are going to be these um, these uh, synchronous engagements where you meet with somebody online. Uh, in order to have real conversation and, and talk about what you're reading, talk about what you're hearing, talk about what you're writing about. But in the context of of not being able to market yourself as having this degree in order to go out and, and have this job and make this income pay off these loans, really is more about um, being able to be a part of a, of a learning community and to be able to grow as a Christian in in your understanding of the call of Jesus uh, to be a, to be an alternative community in the world, um, and and to uh, and to grow that way. I mean, we're it's uh, in my mind, it's really the antithesis of of this sort of um, more, more, more. Um, as a matter of fact, right now, if, if if we had very many people, I don't know we'd know what to do with them um, because uh, there's not that many of us doing this yet. So, uh, yeah, yeah, does that seem kind of in line with what you're thinking? Two, two comments, and that is that you, you passed over real quickly, and I think it's key. But, you know, that's the, also what you get in Bonhoeffer's. The, it became obvious that you couldn't train people in the typical fashion that the Lutheran or, you know, the German Christian pastors had been trained, and that they would be a part of the confessing church. And so there became the clear idea that these people would have to be trained over and against uh, that understanding. And that would be a whole worldview. That would be the whole ball of wax of Nazism and National Socialism, of theological liberalism and um, and so there was this concerted effort to re-enculturate people. I don't know that Bonhoeffer ever used that language, but I think that's the, that's the goal in a discipleship program or understanding is, uh, you know, it's one thing to train people to be successful in the culture as it is. Uh, 
and and that's a fairly easy thing. You know, you just a step ladder on on integrating into what's already there. But I think that what true discipleship is is not a process of integration into an already existing culture, but rather it is the attempt to understand the church, the body of Christ, as an alternative to that. And that's the radical part of you know what Bonhoeffer was doing uh, is that it it took this concentrated effort on the part of the teachers and the students. Uh, to to stand apart from pure evil. Uh, and so I think if we get the idea that what we mean by community is not just any old community or not just uh, people that are getting together because we like golf. or uh, No, the idea is that this is a holistic community in which we do life differently, that we check out of a uh, violent capitalistic system. And so I think this is where the nonviolent aspect enters into it, that, uh, that to be peaceable is, in fact, already to be over and against any sociocultural entity as we have it. The second thing, and, and uh, you know, is that uh, Paul House was speaking against online education, and the way that I've envisioned this is I came up through in my PhD work in a British system, a British tutorial system. And that's really what I'm, I, my image of the way this should function, is that we, yeah, we have the material that's available, <clears throat> but each student then will be taking it through this individually. That, uh, and, you know, you can talk, you can talk like we're talking, we're not in the same room together, uh, but we're using the modern media, and, and that's the the only sense that, you know, that it may not be literally face-to-face, but actually in some of this, it, it will be face-to-face. And as much as possible, I hope that if students are in a physical, you know, lo- geographical location that we can meet, I'd like to integrate that into it, or meet with you, or meet with Frank, or meet with, you know, we've got people in different places, and so hopefully there, there will, that it will be a, uh, a, a, a full contact kind of understanding. Now, I'm, I don't know that I ever, is that fit you? you want, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I, I think, um, you know, what, when, when you, I think, had this idea, and I, I think I was, um, it hit me at just the right time in my disillusionment with Christian um, higher education. And I, when I say disillusionment, I'm, I'm not meaning that I don't see a place for education. I certainly do. I think it's very important. Um, but I, I don't think that what we're seeing in Christian higher education um, is – I'm not encouraged. Um, in fact, I feel like um, it's it's there's a marriage to the state that is there by necessity that I don't think is that far removed from what Bonhoeffer saw 
um, with the German Christians and and the German uh, political leadership in his time. Uh, the situation may be different. It may also not be that different at all. Um, and I think the same kinds of oppression, the same kinds of violence, the same kinds of um, injustice are, 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 are happening in our culture as happened there. Um, it's just that we have got different words for it. Um, it's not maybe quite as um, on the uh, – it's maybe not quite as obvious – even, but you know, even I think in World War II, a lot of people uh, in Germany were very disconnected from what was happening at Auschwitz and what was happening in those in those places. And I think in our culture, we see that the people with are very disconnected from the people without, and it's very easy to point and call somebody else the enemy. All that to say, um, the the structures that make uh, the structures in our culture that people assume are um, necessary, that people assume are uh, are uh, inherent um, to being to doing life, aren't according to the kingdom of God uh, that Jesus preached, and um, we see ourselves as people who may or may not know all of the places where we personally are still tied up in the world's mm -hmm. structures, but we see our, also see that Jesus has called us to something very different than what we do recognize mm -hmm. as um, being uh, different than what Jesus preached. And so, you know... Um, those of us who have been working and and I should say we've got we've put together what I think are some really amazing um, courses and combinations of courses. We've got um, two courses completely finished. We've got three that are being worked on right now. Uh, our two courses are on biblical um, interpretation and on um, theology of sin and salvation um, we've also got a course on the gospel of John which you're putting together I'm working on a course on the gospel of Matthew and one that I'm very excited about is a course that Vangie my wife is putting together on um, on oppression and um, marginalization um, and the gospels, uh, uh, how the gospel undoes the, uh, the marginalization of people. Um, these, I think, are very much the, the way we're going to go about these courses is very different than I think you're going to get in a, in a traditional, when I say traditional, I mean contemporarily traditional uh, Christian higher ed institution right now. I think that, yeah, the, you know, just for example, you're doing Matthew, I'm doing John. Uh, I think I, I've had students say that, you know, Life of Christ was one of their most boring classes in seminary. And I've never understood that. Uh, but, of course, 
uh, or why that should be the case, but if you understand that usually what's taking place in a Gospels class is that you're doing all four Gospels, or at least the Synoptic Gospels, and the focus is not upon what is you know being taught in the Gospels, or in it's not theological is another way to say it, but what is being focused upon is a harmonization. And so that you're, and maybe there was a generation that just needed to devote all this time to warding off theological liberalism by, you know, that would have been the attack on the Gospels, oh, they can't be harmonized. But unfortunately, the devotion to that sort of interpretive method just leaves out the Gospel itself. It leaves out the significance of the life of Christ. So I think that focused on, you know, putting together these gospel classes. First of all, it is, there is a philosophy or a theology of education at work there in which the life of Christ is seen to be front and center. It becomes the interpretive lens both forward into the epistles and backward into the Old Testament. That there is, and this is partly what I think you're doing in the interpretation class, is that there is a way of reading Scripture in which the, the life of Christ, or a Christocentric reading, is, is front and center. And so that's certainly, you know, I know you're using uh, the, uh, a theological work on Matthew. I'm doing a, a theological, pro- and John is, you know, you can't hardly do the Gospel of John apart from a, a theological understanding. John is just so obviously... Uh, telling us the story, the narrative of the life of Christ in such a way that it's very pointed and he's taking it in a particular place. Uh, I think we just have to, we have to, you know, see that that's there, that there is this theological content. Um, And I think that, that gives a coherence to the classes that I think is often lacking in the typical of seminary education or biblical education is the theology is poor enough or you know it's it, it, it doesn't cohere or it doesn't bring coherence to the Word of God now, I don't mean that we reduce it to a system or we reduce it you know it's not uh, in that sense a kind of Calvinistic reading but it is that within the framework of Scripture, there is a coherence that I I think that will shine forth and and become evident in each of the modules that we're putting together. And I think we've got a really good start. I I mean, um, there's there's nothing I could add to what you just said. It's, uh, I think that really encapsulates it, that we're really doing a very specific um, reading of the Bible and application of of the Bible uh, through the lens of Christ, um, and and that that is um, it's not to say we're the only ones doing it. Uh, we're certainly not, um, and yet most folks aren't doing it. Um, and um, I think that uh, I'm really excited about about it, and I'm I'm really excited about. Uh, getting started with um, and getting some folks involved. I know we're nearly ready to launch, and I know we've got uh, stuff in development. And um, I'm, I think that um, 
I'm really excited to be involved in what I was ready to call New Finkenwald, but uh, we decided that we weren't going to be quite that. Uh, quite <laughs> I like that. that. I like that. I didn't remember you <laughs> said that. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I don't. Uh, it, it just felt, in the end, a little uh, uh, presumptuous. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>